2: Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Less than 3% of rental properties available through the government's housing assistance payment scheme, we ask if it's time to scrap HAP. Late last orders we debate if increased opening hours for our bars will have a detrimental impact on our roads. And 170,000 public sector workers take to the picket lines in one of the biggest strikes in the history of Northern
0: Ireland. So that's day and daily. Patients aren't safe, but if we don't stand up as our code of conduct tells us to and fight for fair pay and safe staffing, then they will never be safe.
2: from the Simon Communities of Ireland has found that there were no properties available to rent under the Housing Assistance Payment, or HAP, scheme in nine out of 16 areas that they looked at across the country. Our panel tonight is Green Party Senator Pauline O'Reilly, Social Democrats' TD Jennifer Whitmore, Craig Hughes, political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mail, and Executive Director of Simon Communities of Ireland, Wayne Stanley. And joining us down the line tonight is Barra Tree Assistant Professor of Economics at Trinity College, Dublin. But first to the news that a man has been killed following an explosion at a homeless hostel operated by DePaul Ireland on Little Britain Street in Dublin city centre earlier this afternoon. are investigating the cause of the blast at the shelter, which was contained to one room. Well, Wayne Stanley, just to get your reaction to this, it must be a shock for what is a pretty tight community. Um, And there were obviously a number of, of homeless service users around at the time when this tragedy struck
3: yeah, so I think from the Simon communities, we'd like to extend our condolences to the the uh, service users' family and and friends, uh, to the the wider community who were I- in the service, and also I'd like to make a particular mention for the staff who will obviously have who will likely have known the service user. Obviously, we don't have any uh, details at the moment as as are continues to investigate.
2: Yeah, the precise cause of uh, the blast still under investigation tonight. People were evacuated from the building on Little Britain Street. They can't obviously remain there uh, tonight. How has that impacted on homeless um, accommodation in the city centre?
3: Uh, So my understanding is that they're working with the DRHE, the Dublin Regional Homeless Executive, and other NGOs to find accommodation for the for the other service users who would have uh, been in that service uh, i'm sure that i'm sure places will be found for everyone it it obviously will put additional pressure on the system it, we know it's going to be very cold in dublin tonight and extra beds had been opened emergency beds for the cold weather strategy um so that extra capacity will some of that will be taken up but i'm sure beds will be found for everyone
2: all right, OK. Uh, we want to move on to uh, the story that uh, we brought you in here tonight to talk about, Wayne, because it's your report looking at this housing assistance payment, um, something that many people rely on in order to get a roof over their heads. Um, you have looked at the national picture and rentals available under that scheme, and they're in chronically short supply, aren't they? Um you know, there's no properties to rent in nine out of 16 areas that you looked at, as you, as you stated. Um, has it worsened dramatically recently? Because this is a quarterly report. So are you seeing a growing trend here?
3: So for, for about certainly the last uh, two years, it has, there's been a chronic shortage over all that time. Really, uh, over last year, the average um percentage of properties available under a housing assistance payment has been around 4%. This last one, which was still 2023, was down to 3%. But if you go back to 2021, there was still a shortage of supply. We all know it's a very tight private rental market, but at least with with a housing assistance payment, if the local authority was using the maximum discretion available to them, there would be about 27% of the properties would have been available to somebody uh, on a housing assistance payment. The reason why the Simon communities look at uh, at this particular area is uh, a number of years ago, uh, quite recently, uh, the private rental market would have been one of the major routes out of homelessness for people. Maybe 60% of people moving on from homelessness would have been into the private rental market. That has now fallen off a cliff. Uh, Some local authorities, many local authorities are starting to step up and and allocate uh, increased numbers of properties to try and bridge that gap, but they're not able to bridge it. Uh, or or what they're doing isn't enough to bridge it. And so what we're seeing is the increasing homeless figures that we continue to see month on month.
2: Okay, so you think that it, that it directly correlates then with the, the increasing homeless figures, as you say, that we've been seeing a record number of homeless.
3: Yeah, well, what, what we've known is the private rental market and people losing their home in the private rental market is a big driver of homelessness, in particular family homelessness. Uh, this year, we had our, uh, during Simon week, we had our conference, uh, we had a speaker from, uh, who came from the US and he looked at all 50 states. And it, uh, his, their experience is very similar to what we've seen here, which is, if you look at a state, regardless of how wealthy it is, regardless of how levels of mental health, family breakup, all those kind of social issues that we sometimes uh, apportion to uh, as a reason for homelessness. If there's no, uh, if there's a shortage of secure, affordable accommodation, you see more homelessness. If there's secure, affordable accommodation, you see less. Okay. That's the universal truth.
2: All right. Uh, Pauline Raleigh to bring you in on this, it's a basic tenet, isn't it, to have a roof over your head for it to be secure, for it to be stable. This uh, study would appear to bear out that that is not the case if there are no properties available under the very scheme that the government has in place to ensure that people who do need that extra support um, to, to avail of rental accommodation, they just simply can't get it.
4: Look, I mean, everybody recognises the challenges when it comes to housing. And the ultimate answer is supply, supply, supply. That's what we need to drive up. And I think that just on the pure figures um, in terms of how many houses have been delivered, that's 100,000 over the term of government, which is more than the previous two governments combined. So year on year, that's you're that's talking increasing. about housing supply I, now. I am, I am. But can,
5: but they
2: can are we just all go back? Because what's needed now, in immediate term, is a greater supply of, of HAP available properties. I, I,
5: so
4: what's happening? I think it's really important to say here that HAP is not a perfect system, precisely for the reasons outlined. An over reliance on private landlords to um to, to support what should be a social housing. Mm. issue. That's not the route that we envisage and that's but why... That's, but, I mean, but, it's well, well, not just, just to we envisage re- but, but it's what's there. But just to respond to that, that's why there are more social homes being built now than since 1975. Right now we are in a boom when it comes to social housing so half of those commencements are social housing and that is the route out of HAP. So, I mean, I, I listened to the Minister um, for Housing this evening and what he's saying is that there are 160 new HAP tenancies every week, so that is continuing. Now, that's not to say that any of these things are, are ideal. No, nobody thinks that any any of this is ideal. However, there are there's also 1,400 a year. So last year, were moved out right, of HAP into a, social housing. I know there's a lot of figures. There, there are a lot of there figures. are a lot of figures, spe-
2: but specifically the, but the facts on that 160 are important here just specifically on that 160 hap tenancies a week mm. uh, is that an increase is that are we likely to see a change then in the next quarterly report I,
4: I think i think that the, 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 what the change needs to be is the change in terms of social housing because i think that it's quite correct to say that people shouldn't be moving from private to private that what they should be moving is from hap into social housing and that's where the provision of social housing is all really right. important in this market. But we have to remember that there's all kinds of areas um, that that it becomes really, really complex right. when you talk about reasons. That's why you need safety nets. It's why you, But pr- particularly, we need to drive up supply. That's what we've been doing. Okay. And as I say, record numbers.
2: We'll get to some of that because I know Dara Brian did, did, did many many um, press built. release on um, the affordable housing scheme and on home new home starts and all of that sort of thing. But, uh, Jennifer, just to get um, your view on this, on, on on what we've seen in this report, and really, we've known that there's a crisis within the rental sector, but for those who especially rely... I mean, everyone relies on, on, on having a roof over their heads, but for those for, who will fall into homelessness if they simply don't have it... They're in a precarious situation right now, according to this report.
6: Oh, absolutely. And and there's just so many people that are just really hanging on by a thread. Um, I think the, the issue with HAP, obviously, is is the privatisation of, of uh, social housing, but it's also comes down to the fact that there just isn't enough affordable housing. Um, And in, you know, in Wicklow, when people are coming into me and they're getting HAP, a lot of the times there's two people working, um, you know, and and they're still in HAP uh, houses or or hoping to get HAP houses. So there is a whole issue of affordability. There's a whole issue of um, people being able to get that security. And and there just really isn't any availability. Like, it's very, very difficult to access. So what's the fix
2: specifically around you know, HAP properties, because we've heard from, from landlords um, that there are, there, are, there are factors in this, the, the shortage of, of HAP, that there's an awful lot of red tape involved that property owners say it's a six to eight weeks to get an application through. In that time, they're not getting rent, where they could get rent if it's from somebody who's, who's non-HAP. And... Um, there's also the exiting
6: landlords, and that's an issue, and that's going to feed into the problem. Yeah, and and look at, I mean, ultimately we need more supply. We need more supply of social housing. We need more supply of affordable housing. The government's targets aren't sufficient. You know, the thirty-three thousand uh, of a target. Uh, up to 2030 and, you know, the experts have said actually that should be 66,000. So the, the the targets aren't even sufficient and that's that's a major problem. So we need to get the supply up and it needs to be affordable and unfortunately we're not seeing affordability. Um, Craig, I mean, look,
2: the affordable affordability issue is a big one and we do hear, we heard from Pauline tonight and we've heard from the Minister earlier, um, it's all about building, building, but right now for people who are, can't find uh properties they can't actually find a place um to live this is of you know very cold comfort
0: it is and i, I guess it it's unfortunate but unsurprising that people who require you know state assistance in this regard are the one who are fe- who are feeling um, the constrained nature of, of of the of the rental market the most and um, but when you go back to saying supply 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 that's all well and good in one sense but it also needs to be the right housing type so uh, whatever about the targets going forward if you even look at the last year's targets so the state had a target of of building for social homes nine thousand, but they actually only delivered in 2022 sorry and um, six and a half thousand so while they're saying they're meeting their overall targets that what well, that's what the private sector is delivering when you look at what the state is delivering in terms of social it, it actually isn't um meeting uh mm-hmm. what it pledged to do that might shift a bit because uh, this government in fairness to them did pivot the direction of the land development agency to focus um predominantly on social and affordable housing so i think it's you know it would be un- unfair to say that they're they're ignoring the problem. They have made changes, but it's just slow to bear fruit.
2: All right, I want to bring uh, Roan Tree in um, at this point. Um, from your perspective, your your view on this? Um, do you believe that? I mean, what do we do about this issue around you know hap? Uh, I mean, I, in many instances, people have to top up hap payments in order to um, mm. also find a property. So, as a short term fix, because we keep hearing about housing. Um, houses being built and more social housing but as a short-term fix what needs to happen in your view?
1: Sure so no one thinks that HAP is a good long-run solution but it's kind of the price that we pay for having not fixed what is a more than a decade-long housing crisis so HAP is there there's a lot of families tens of thousands like almost seventy thousand between HAP and the various uh, uh, on in, in receipt of that and, and rely on that. And many thousands more families would be homeless were it not for that payment. But the big problem is, as the Simon Community Report really, really shows, and as research that, that I did at the Economic and Social Research Institute shows, is that HAP isn't enough to cover what rents are. And it wasn't enough about four years ago. it wasn't, uh, and, and it's been made less generous over time. And the reason for that is there's these limits on what you can get a property for. These limits were set in 2017. They haven't really been increased since. Local authorities have been given a little bit more discretion. But it's no surprise that there's decreasingly few properties available to rent under the HAP scheme when these rent limits aren't increased. So every year, you know, the state pension is increased, job seekers allowance is increased, uh, tax credits are increased. But for some reason, HAP rent limits aren't. They're frozen. And yet, at the same time, what we see and you know the reason that's given by the government for this is they say, oh, well, we can't increase the rent limits because that will push up uh, rents more generally, which I don't think has much credibility, particularly when you have the rent controls in place. But at the same time as that, they give uh, 500 euro to each renter in the private sector on much higher levels of income. And they don't seem to have a concern around that. So in the short run, what can you do? Uh, you can make HAP cover more properties by increasing the rent limits. That's something which people have been continuously pointing to and we haven't really seen happen. Okay. So that, that is one of the All things right. that can help mitigate it in just, the long run, okay, or in the short run, but then it is supply in the long run. OK,
2: um, Pauline, just to get you on that, because the government have not increased those HAP rates, although I know that there is discretion in, within some councils, um, but you've made the decision not to do that. Why not?
4: Well, I mean, the, the, as you say, there is a discretion, so that has been increased by the minister. Um, and but
2: the standard rate has not increased. But
4: I mean, you have you have to also take into consideration that you may you may have rent caps, but you also then have new homes coming on the market, which don't you know they can they can put their rent at any level. So I do think there has to be some controls. And look. I mean, I, I take I take on board what the minister is saying. I think he's doing it for the best of reasons. But I will go back to the fact that it is supply, supply, supply. And what I would like to pick up. But I just, want to, I just I, want to pick
2: I, up on something that the bar is saying there about and affordability.
4: Um, I want to pick up, yeah, on. D- if you don't but mind.
2: just about yeah. the fact that there are sort of tax reliefs. There are, you know, the, that, that, that 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 tax relief that came in for private renters, and um, that helped them. But there's not the equivalent for those unhappy who are having to top up, find it unaffordable and can't find properties?
4: I think there is, as I said earlier, there is um, a list as long as your arm of different issues within the housing market that all have to be addressed. The minister has addressed it um, and people can agree or disagree with the, with the minister's but, approach, but I, I want to go back to the affordability issue because I, I do think it's really important. And I, you know, I picked up particularly on what Jennifer had said around affordability and the importance of affordability. And I have a, a bit of a concern about certainly anecdotally about the fear that landlords have and landlords leaving the market and I, th- I think that we're seeing that el- more and more anecdotally landlords leaving the market so that's why you really have to pivot in a different direction that's why social housing is so important mm. that's why commencements are at an all-time okay. high and we do have the social democrats who voted against the affordable housing bill who voted against the land development agency now saying that we need affordability so I don't I think that people are concerned about what's coming down the tracks. I also heard the Social Democrats last night saying they want hundred percent stamp duty um, for for um, for investors in the private market. We need both. We need the land development we, agency, we, we need I'd like to let we, Jennifer I'd but, like to let we, Jennifer we respond to, to the, so the so In relation to the people to people funds, it, it, just just vulture funds, what we need is we need houses
6: and we need houses and we need apartments that people are able to buy, that people can buy and make Homes for themselves. We need people or, no, to build no, no, no. What we don't also. need is we do not need international investors coming in here, buying up large swathes of housing, controlling the market, setting rates so high, rents so high that they're actually defining what happens which, in that market, which is what we are seeing. And so, having a ten individual... percent. No, no. And and let's face it. The minister agreed that 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 government was going to look relook at this because they they, they recognize that the ten percent. Let me Shifting talk. From po- no, no, Pauline. To 100%. Pauline, let me talk. The 10% is not working. The minister said he would look at it. If you want something to work, you make it work. You don't put a measly 10%. Well, I'd of, love to hear what you have say about the housing. Pauline, I'd love to hear what you have to say about the, Pauline, and Pauline, I'd I'd listen, say about the Land Development Agency. Plenty forward. of opportunity to talk. But I do <coughs> want to... Go, if if you put a tax... You, or if you put something, no, it needs to be meaningful. It needs No, it needs to be meaningful, Pauline. Putting a 10% tax on... An international uh, vulture fund, okay. they would be laughing at you. They are right. making incredible profits. 10% is nothing to them. So actually make something meaningful. Can I just, with, ask, can can I just, I just ask, ask, it was, it was similar with her the herself. vacant tax uh, uh, that, that, that they had, 0.3% uh, vacant tax um, they had on, on, uh, on properties. <clears throat> there is absolutely no point in putting something like that on that is actually not going to have any uh, practical outcomes from it, Brief. all it is is, is a, a veneer of trying briefly to do on something that, uh, and we, people here have okay. had enough of, of government and their and their shallow solutions to things that aren't actually achieving what they like should be Like the affordable housing act, no, no, like cross so We have more that. people homeless oh, just, than ever before, Thanks, more Jennifer. people I living at home than ever before so these solutions are not working of yours Pauline, just on
2: that issue around the stamp duty because I know we're getting a little off topic now but uh, you seem steadfast that the, the 10% is, is fine and that that sh- should it, not change. It, it ha- that's what the Greens it, in government will be saying. It
4: has, had, it has had a shift and it's not just that but it's about the planning and we've had individual cases where people have got their planning before this was put in place and that's where you've seen some of these large investors come in but overall it is bringing things in the right direction but we do need private investment, we do need All the right. Land Development Agency and we need cost rental which the Greens were the ones who put forward and it is having a revolutionary impact and again you know I I think it's really important to also hold opposition to account and the solutions that are required. um, I I I think think you're asking those
2: questions tonight. I just want to uh, briefly just get back to uh, Barra if you're still with us about this argument about raising the HAP rates that if you raise a payment it raises the rental floor so properties that may have been in affordable areas where you know where there are more HAP more HAP properties, they'll now receive more money. So as a result, overall rents in that area get higher. What would you say to that? That's not the solution in that it makes rents everywhere higher?
1: Yeah, no, there's not evidence that's really happening. What we, and, and and I think that's particularly the case where again you have rent pressure zones in place, right? So landlords can only increase rents by a certain amount tied to now inflation, now inflation uh, an hour, and, and the lower amounts there with the, the, the 2% cap. So I don't think that's going to be true. And I don't think that the size the, the size of the HAP sector is enough to be doing that. And again, if that is what you think, and if you are concerned about that, then why would you go ahead and put in a €500 euro rent credit for every private renter that there is? And again, a group who are perhaps struggling, but there are much higher incomes than those who are in receipt of HAP. So I don't think you can have it both ways, which is what we kind of hear from the government in relation to this. And again, just to, on, on those HAP rent limits, like, there's a discretion available for local authorities, but even with, as the Simon Community uh, report shows, even with that discretion, at the maximum, you're not finding places for people to be able to rent through HAP. And so as a result, they pay top up payments, which make their rent really unaffordable. And that is something to be concerned about. It's something that could be addressed, but it is a question of prioritisation.
2: Okay. Um, Wayne, on that, I'm sure you're agreeing with what Barra has to say about um, that I, as, a, as a. I as think a the last point is a particularly fix.
3: important one. Uh, Pauline talked about 160 HAP. New new tenancies are being created. that's true. but as as Barr is saying, that's because people are topping up by two, three, four, five hundred euros a month. So what we're seeing is the reason why the rates haven't gone up is because the burden of the cost is being put on the people who can least afford it. And the state is benefiting uh, and seen to be prudent in its in fiscally but actually what it's doing is putting the cost of this on the shoulders of people who can least afford it and putting them at risk of homelessness. They need to increase the HAP rates. Full agreement the state cannot continue to chase an unaffordable uh, private rental market but what it can do, the answer to that is to build more social housing but when you're not building enough and you're not allocating enough you're going to see increases in homelessness and you're going to see uh, more and more pressure put on people who are uh, vulnerable. So. The answer is to do both.
2: Uh, briefly, Craig. The bottom line, I suppose, with all of this is the government is promising that you know to try and end the homeless problem, build more houses than ever, and you have reports like this coming out. It just simply doesn't look good. It doesn't look like uh, you know that that there is that level of progress that's that's needed to help those who are at the very um, vulnerable end of things.
0: It doesn't. But I guess what they'll what point is is that. Significant enough level of increase in in overall output since their tenure in government. I mean, I mean, last year they, they reached three thousand overall when the target was twenty nine thousand. Now, as Jennifer's rightly said, those targets we know. Are too low, and based on uh, 2016 census data, they're going to be revised upwards to somewhere between 50 and 60 thousand. Um, the real, I, I guess, what you probably need to see is a, a real focus on, on residential development. So, I mean, you had Taoiseach talking about potentially 40 thousand next year, and um, while the Construction Federation of Ireland said they could probably do 60 if they were directed properly, so that's taking the focus off, 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 off um, corporate office developments um, and other perhaps capital projects, and really focusing on residential.
2: Next week, we're going to get the 2023 um, housing completion data in full. Is that likely to be good news from Dara Brown's department?
0: Yes, yeah, so actually the Taoiseach um, got, got better into the punch on, on the good news on, Friday at a on Monday at a Fine event where he said it looks like they built 33,000 homes last year. So that, that's ahead of target. But what will be interesting to see is the breakdown of that, of how many new social homes are built w- within that overall cohort.
2: All right, And that is where the opposition are, are, are sticking them on that one, on the issue around um, social and affordable homes. Um, my thanks to Wayne Stanley and
1: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Coming up next, uh, we debate if extended opening times for pubs will impact our roads. To stay with us. Welcome back. A government bill proposing to increase trading hours for bars and restaurants from 11.30pm to 12.30am while extending last orders in nightclubs to 5am venues will be allowed uh, to stay open till 6am. But some have argued that this will have a detrimental impact on our roads leading to an increase in drink driving. Pauline O'Reilly, Green Party Senator, Jennifer Whitmore Social Democrat TD and Craig Hughes, political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mail have stayed on with us. Um, We are also joined by Dr Sheila Gilhini, the CEO of Alcohol Action Ireland because, um, Sheila... um, This is uh, your report that you've brought out that you're very concerned that this increase in trading hours will lead to a direct correlation with an increase in drink driving and fatalities on our roads. Where's the evidence around that?
5: Well, actually, there's um, there's a lot of evidence from right across the world, but we've been drawing attention particularly to a a recent report that came out from Norway, which really looked at this in, in depth. And one of the things that they found is that there is this relationship between increased drink driving um, but especially increased collisions, especially in rural areas. In fact, they saw that in those rural areas, they could see increases of up to 30% by just extending licensing hours by one hour. So we know here in Ireland, we have seen the horrific increase we've already had you know, over this last year. 37% of road fatalities, the driver would have a positive toxicology for alcohol but actually over 70% of those deaths are occurring in rural roads. So we're saying, you know, there's really something that we need to be looking at here. If we're going to increase licensing hours, we really need to be taking these sorts of things into account. And what we're calling for is for the Minister for Justice to do a health impact assessment um, of all of the proposals and cost this out, really look and see you know, we need to be increasing, you know, Garda resources who, who would be in those areas, but you'd also have to be increasing Garda resources to deal with, you All know, right. street disorder and stuff like that. So that has to be taken into so account.
2: particularly concerned with the consequences uh, in rural parts yes. of the country?
5: Yes, we, we, we and are. And
2: that's where your, your focus is there. So would you look to perhaps, um, you know, allowing or, you know, advocating... Pending a health assessment report, you know, later opening hours, say in urban areas, but for rural areas, um, for them to to look at the consequences of of not having the transport infrastructure and the increased risk.
5: Yeah, we we would say this bill has to be looked at in the round and there are consequences, whether we're talking in cities or whether we're talking in rural areas. We're specifically here talking about road deaths, but in city areas, we can also see there's increased, you know, problems likely to to occur from street disorder, you know, so... Okay, so there are a number of other factors
2: um, and you have been opposed to this all along. Um, We know that. Uh, Pauline, I suppose there's the logic, the pubs stay open later, the chance of people getting into their uh, cars increase uh, accordingly, whether it's a good move for business or not, would you accept that there are risk factors, increased risk factors, with keeping premises open later?
4: I think, you know, like we absolutely have to take um, every measure to stop any accident on the road, and that includes from alcohol consumption and, and getting behind the wheel when you're, when you're drinking. But whether you take a drink at four in the afternoon or you take a drink at two in the morning and then get behind a wheel, it's still illegal and it's still wrong. So, so like just to put that out there, um, and I think that it would be a mistake to say that what happens in another country is automatically gonna happen here. The, the legislation does put in more enforcement powers, for the Gardaí. Um there there's been massive, like extensive consultation, 5,000 submissions. So it is being looked at in the round and it's not just about business, but business is important. I mean, I'm in Galway and I see like there's hardly any nightclubs to go to anymore, but, but it's not just business, it's about the overall wellbeing of our people. Cultural events, okay. arts events, just and be, and being sociable I, is really important. I just want to pull back. And there's back. a real danger. Sorry, Claire. Yeah, and I there, just there, know there is and, a real and danger I know here. that
2: that that um, all the benefits. And we'll hear a little bit um, more on that um, as people view it from you know mm. changing the law on this, and there's been a big lobby around that. But looking at that Norwegian study showing that you know increased trading hours were associated with a decline in drink driving in urban areas, but an actual increase in rural areas. Like, has it been considered as a risk factor, given that we don't necessarily have the taxis there, the public transport to take, that if you have, you know, extended trading hours... Well, I think all of that... ..that, that this does pose a risk. All
4: of that has, has, to be, has to be taken into consideration. and But the enforcement is regardless of whether it's rural or urban. Um, and my experience is, from the gardi in certain areas, including in, in rural areas, and you know, I'm I'm in mm. I'm in both an urban and a rural constituency. Is that what Garthie don't want? Is everybody piling out at the exact same time and searching around for some way to get home, um, and you know, that's what creates a huge danger. And it's not just a, a danger which is massive. We need to consider road deaths, but it's also um, women's safety. It's it's. It's all of the things that we put people at risk at. and actually, a survey within Dublin found that 32% of people said they don't want to go out in the evening because they're worried about getting transport home. And it's because everybody's coming out at the exact same time. Everybody's trying to get transport. So, but we well, then to make I mean, sure look, that there that, are night buses. Yeah, well, we that's what I was sure going to say. Then, then,
2: the infrastructure has to be. It has to be. Place, to be it? it does
4: have to be. Okay, all in place. and and there are now uh, there's a, a massive investment gone in. On pilot schemes to see how this would work. There's also a massive investment gone in that there are nighttime economy, um, uh, you know, staff within the council right. okay. to look at how it okay. actually works in reality. But we have to invest in other things that not just about drink. Yeah, you know. So let's just say, uh, that.
2: Jennifer, w- would you agree, or do you share any of Sheila's concerns about what may happen with the the increase in in trading? Um, hours and the perceived associated risks with that.
6: Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in seeing the Norwegian study. I, I lived in Norway for, for, for a short time, many, many years ago. Um, and the drinking culture there was very different to here. You know, you, you, you would have to we used to have to get wine through our bank, you know, things like this. So it, it was a very different uh, way of of operating over then. I don't know how easily it is uh, sort of transcribed to, to the Irish but situation. Does, but
2: It does point to, I suppose, in rural areas where there's a lack of public transport people as a result are more likely to get in their cars. So the, the risk factor Increases in rural areas—is that something you're concerned about? uh, That the party would be concerned about with the change in the trading hours? Well, I
6: think it it comes down to making sure that we've enough uh, public transport available, that there's enough taxis, and and you know, I take Pauline's point. Like when you, when everyone's trying to get home at twelve o'clock or half twelve at night, it's very there's a huge demand. Whereas if 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 it's a bit of a spread, well then I think that would ease. And then also in relation to like you know antisocial behaviour, again that's you know when everyone's coming out and you know if they're sort of downing a few pints before before the bell. and they're they're all put out on the street like that in itself is a really really um you know bad way of of dealing with things so actually maybe spreading it out across the the night is is a much better way of dealing
2: with it all right The, the problem with all this craig is that um we don't have the full which i think sheila has called for this health impact assessment report or you know, to look at really what the potential consequences of all of it are. As someone who has skin in the game, mm. as in your, your festival, you're more than a festival promoter, you're a festival founder, um, day and night festival that runs during the summer, I take it you'd very, and in a rural part mm. of the country, but you would very much be in favour of saying, drink all night and, you know, make your way home and but try to do so safely, but, you know, it's, it's, that freedom is important.
0: No, I think it is very important. Um, so like we run the night and day festival in in, in Lockheed Forest Park um, in Boyle and Roscommon. And I guess the first thing to look at is the actual licensing laws themselves, right? They, they need to change. So at the moment, whether you're a, a normal bar that wants a late bar license or, or an event, you have to go and pay, um, for a, a, a pay for, to have a, have a late license every night you want to trade. That just isn't practical for the rest of the sector. And um, when it comes to us uh, running the festival, Last year, for example, we had buses after the event. So most people will will camp there. It's a three-day camping festival this year. We had buses going back to the main towns of Boyle and Carrick and Shannon. And this year, we're looking to find an extra bus that goes to Sligo. So I think when you look at it in in the round and say, OK, we're giving people extra trading time, the the wraparound has to be there. So, for for example, if it's in an urban area, the transport will probably be fine. But if you're going to be... But will it be
2: there? I mean, that's the question. It's OK. Like, you can say, yeah, we have a festival and we'll lay on extra buses, Mm. so it'll... That, that makes sense for you, makes financial yeah. sense for you, to keep people there longer and all the rest of it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking about, you know, your rural pub, like, yeah. are they going to adapt according to the change in, in trading hours? And is there the footfall? And if everyone is not coming out at the same time, yeah. are you going to have people coming out in dribs and drabs and then taken to the car in their own?
0: But I, I think when you're talking about pubs, I mean, you're talking about, about an hour or two here or there. I think the big issue with the open times that people are raising is, is with nightclubs, right? So if, if you're trading till 5am and, and, and being allowed to them until 6 they will have to go to, to the courts to, to apply for a nightclub license. So it'll be up to the court to say, okay, to ha- have you met all the criteria set out um, in, in the guidelines by, by 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 the by the minister to warrant getting an nightclub license to stay open until 6 a.m.
2: Oh right, okay. So then, therefore, I suppose the argument is Sheila that the you know you open the you open premises later and the infrastructure will be in place because it'll they, they won't they won't be able to get the license unless unless those,
5: the, this, the system is working. Yeah, so, so what the government is actually proposing right now is a shortened form of this bill, which is simply there to extend the licensing hours. There's nothing in it about, you know, doing anything about transport or anything like, like that. We really come back to this Decisions are being made without the full facts. We don't have the facts of how much is it going to cost to have any extra transport. How much is it going to cost to police to have Guardy on duty at you know later hours that are there? We don't have the facts about how much is going to cost EDS and ambulance services to to to, to pick up to, to, to carry the burden of what's there. So what decisions about the argument can't...
2: that we've heard and we heard it um, from Jennifer and from Pauline that if you have people who are coming out
5: uh, who are not coming out on mass that's actually a safer environment? So we, we can look to the evidence from uh, England and Wales, which essentially has 24-hour uh, licensing available. And what they found there is that the problems didn't go away. They were just shifted further in, into the night. And on guard to Shekinah, in their own submission to the, the Arctis, uh Justice Committee, who, who looked at this, you know, have expressed concerns on a number of different fronts. So they've expressed concerns that they will be, you know, basically working at full pitch Throughout the whole night, there's no downtime at all. They've, they express concerns about the risk to pedestrians uh, in terms of, you know, t- more traffic collisions later on in, in the evening.
2: All right, is that is that a good point? And we already know that the pressure uh, that's on Gardy to, you know, to, to patrol the streets as it is, mm. that really that hasn't all been worked out yet. And yes, and yes, you know, government are very keen to push through these changes.
4: I think I think it's always fair to say, how's How's this going to work? But I don't think that we can continue with a system that is very much outdated, doesn't fit with the lives of, in relation to young young people, nightclubs. It just doesn't fit with people's lives. And so we're kind of shifting, already there are problems shifting in other directions towards drugs, you know. But I mean, all kinds a very of issues that we, we need sorry. to ensure
2: then that. There are guardy. I mean, think the thing is that people say, you know, during the day and the evening, like before you get to two, three, four, five in the morning, like you're not, you don't, you don't have the guardy around. How are you going to ensure that that they will be there if you're extending all these opening hours? I,
4: I absolutely agree with that point. Like I'm not disputing that point, but I think it's really important to say that the bill also includes. Uh, much stricter kind of laws around you have to have CTV, CCTV, that the guardy that makes the Guardie's jobs an awful lot easier, that the guards can go to the district court to get an emergency close- closure order, which at the moment they can't do. So it, it allows the guardy to have a lot more control, but we can't continue to have a system that we have like a nationally enforced bedtime. You know, that's not working. And that's, we still, we have alcohol problems in the country, but we haven't, we have an enforced bedtime so obviously the current system is not working we have to shift take on board everybody's everybody's concerns and say how do we actually make the guards jobs easier but also say it's important to have a social life it's important to have the arts it's important to have support
5: I, I think it's very important that we actually have facts when we're dealing with this i mean we talked there about the 5,000 people or you know submissions were made but these were views as opposed to Actual, what's the cost of what is going to be here in oh, right. Ireland? To but on do this. the
2: premise that if, if I mean, look, if there is, if there's a big push and that everyone is, you know, bar say Alcohol Action Ireland and. Uh, uh, there's many, there many others. more. A... Well,
5: I, can, I really would like actually to say yeah. this because we have three speakers here who, you know, maybe are just perhaps not, you know, uh, reflecting widespread public support mm-hmm. uh, about this. So I'll just say, for example, that we have concerns been raised by the likes of the Irish Medical Association, or organisation concerns from psychiatrists of um, uh, the, 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 the College of Psychiatrists in Ireland, ourselves obviously, but many other groups. Um, we have certainly seen people who are involved in, in women's uh, aid, or sorry, not. Women's aid, but um, in relation to, to domestic violence. As, I think as it is important. Actually, so to it's to many, many that. more. And I, I will also say that you know, like in in the polling data that we have seen about this, that sixty percent of women are concerned about. Um, you know, violence uh, that that will, will arise from this. So it's not, it's much, much more right. th- than uh, just uh, ourselves. And I think
2: Sheila's right, you know, maybe this isn't reflecting the concerns that will be out there, Craig, about the impact of all of this, um, you know, around young people's drinking habits, um, concerns of pressures on a health service and all of that, that they say, look, at the moment, our system is struggling to cope with the impact of, you know, excessive drinking.
0: What's going to happen now? Well, I think you also have to look at, at the impact on, on the entertainment industry. And for, for example, if you go back 20 years, there was around 500 nightclubs in Ireland. It's, it's down now down to around 80. I mean, because uh, the, the sector simply hasn't been able to survive in the conditions that, that have, been, have been created. And I think as well, with the wider reform of, of these laws, it'll actually open up other cultural spaces to have events where, yes, you might be able to have alcohol at, at it as well. But I think generally, uh, as a country, we seem to be becoming much more progressive in our attitudes um, towards alcohol consumption. So
2: the the will mean it, it doesn't have to be just an alcohol serving premises it can be anywhere that stays yeah. open till you know 3 4 5 a.m. and maybe people want to go out and not drink yeah, yeah because, it, because if, if you wanted to go to, and enjoy an all-nighter yeah. safely yeah all right okay that's that's your cell but can you see uh, just briefly Jennifer on that for what Sheila had to say that these other and we're not represented tonight by those and um, within the health service who are saying we're struggling as it is, and it's going to put a dreadful strain on us. that this health impact report is something that should be carried out before we see any changes to the laws.
6: Yeah, look, I mean, it's important when you're, you know, making legislation that you do listen to the evidence and, you know, I would imagine the Roxas Committee, and you know, has considered that. But I think what's well, also, um, and, I, and I do, I, I understand where Sheila's come from, but I, I think there's sort of other... Issues here when you're talking about, um, say, road traffic, you know, collisions, things like that, and, and we need enforcement. We've, we've seen a reduction in the road traffic RD, like there's 47 less this year at the end of last year than there was at the start. So I think you know there's other factors that are playing into it as well, and it, it comes down to making sure that you know that the other services are there. But like you know, I, as I said, I've, I've lived, I've lived in areas where we've had longer licensing, and. and I don't get the sense from from being in those countries that people are going out and staying and, and getting drunker. I think it's sort of, it, I, p- people tend to go out later, they may stay out longer, but it, it's not as, uh, I suppose, intense, I think, as sometimes I, you oh, get in, in I Ireland. I think if I could just actually
5: list, just look north of the border, licensing hours were increased there in October 2021 they have seen an increase of 17% in alcohol related crime so we don't have to look too far to actually see the evidence we need to have a measurement of what that would mean here in Ireland.
2: We will have to leave that there for now Uh, my thanks to Pauline to Jennifer and to Sheila coming up after the break the strike that has ground Northern Ireland to a halt do stay with us. Welcome back. Nurses, teachers, train drivers and more took to the picket lines as an estimated 170,000 public sector workers went on strike in Northern Ireland today. According uh, to the Irish Congress for Trade Unions, many of these workers have not had a pay increase for three years despite the cost of living crisis. We'll hear it more and this is Belfast-based journalist Amanda Ferguson. A huge show of strength on the streets uh, today, Amanda. Give us some background on the root cause of this action.
7: Well, there's a lot of desperate uh, people out there, and that was reflected today whenever I was visiting the picket lines. Uh, we know that we haven't had a fully functioning government in the north for nearly two years now. And just before Christmas, the Secretary of State uh, put a £3.3 billion package on the table for politicians, but the Treasury in London is linking that money, which includes £600 million for public sector pay, with the restoration of Stormont. So the UK government won't... Um, make that money available uh, unless the politicians go back. And we know from the Stormont recall that we had yesterday, the the seventh recall since the Assembly election in May 2022, 20, uh, when Sinn Féin emerged as the largest party. That. Uh, There's been so many attempts to try and get Stormer back up and running and they haven't succeeded. And the workers and the union reps that I was speaking to today uh, essentially feel as if they're being used as uh, political pawns or political footballs uh, in in some sort of toxic game between the UK government and the DUP. So that's where we find ourselves now. And some of the stories that I heard today, Claire, were really, really harrowing. Uh, One bus driver told me that uh, one of the, the members had said to her that... Uh, they had started to play a game with their children called picnic in bed day uh, and made it out to be a game to the children, but it was essentially because they couldn't afford uh, to heat their home and they were having to do that. And I was talking to teachers who can't afford childcare, uh, a whole range of different uh, people who are really at the end of their tether.
2: Yeah, um, are workers in the UK paid more than in Northern Ireland when it comes to public sector wages? how how do how do they compare compared to those in the yes, UK
3: yeah,
7: the Northern Ireland public sector workers are, are the poorest paid in the UK. So when I was talking to a nursing manager outside the Matter Hospital in North Belfast uh, today, uh, she was saying that they want pay parity, that they don't want to be uh, second-class citizens, that they don't want to be de- devalued. Uh, and even teachers that I, were ta- I was talking to were saying that uh, you know young young trainee teachers are, are moving on elsewhere, are going to other jurisdictions, are going to other countries uh, because they're getting paid thousands of pounds more. Uh, than they would uh, if they stayed within Northern Ireland. So it really is um, a sort of uh, a really grim picture at the moment. There's a lot of people who feel quite hopeless and helpless because there really isn't anything that they can do um, apart from this continued uh, industrial action. And we know that the trade unions are meeting again in the morning to decide what their next steps uh, are going to be, and that's likely to be escalation. And in the meantime, uh, road service workers are uh continuum with strike action, which means the, the roads aren't going to be gridded uh, in the coming days, apart from four of the main uh, thoroughfares. So that's going to have some knock-on effects and issues. Uh, and we know that the Education Authority workers have other dates in the diary as well for further strike action. So it's a pretty messy picture, but the Secretary of State uh, for the UK government, uh, Chris Heaton-Harris, is due to make a statement on Monday uh, about extending the deadline for a fresh Assembly election. Uh, and also there may be other uh, considerations that uh, we just don't know about yet.
2: All right. Uh, Amanda, thank you for joining us um, on that. Uh, Craig, to come to you on all of this, all of this piling huge political uh, pressure to get power sharing back on the north. I mean, is this sort of pressure going to um, prompt the DUP to do anything, put more pressure on the UK government um, to, you know apply apply you know the, the the pressure on the DUP and and get get the structures back up and running again
0: well look it's a pretty high stakes uh, game of political poker that's going on here between Chris heaton Harris um, and, and the politicians particularly the DUP in the north um, but i think when you see scenes like today it becomes a very difficult wicket for the DUP to defend not going back into stormont
2: All right, Okay, Um, But you'd have to say you'd wonder how it play out. I guess the the longer it goes on, uh, the greater the pressure grows with all of that. Um, I'd like to thank Amanda Ferguson, who joined us down down the line. Also Um, to Craig, who's been with us and all our panellists tonight. Um, That is all from us, from all the late team here. Good night and do take care.